Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here with Luke, Paul, and producer Dave. And today we're going to be talking episodes three and four of Netflix's new show, The Sandman. And I mean, episode three and four, I think for me, they are defined by the characters that we meet in these two episodes being Matthew the Raven, Legend in the Making, Joanna Constantine, Legend, we see it on the screen, and Lucifer, who is not what I was expecting. I knew Gwendolyn Christie was in this, but that she's just got a way about her, like an aura, and that character was doing it for me. But awesome episodes, in my opinion. I texted the group chat, said, yeah, we took a step up from episodes one and two, which makes sense for a fantasy show like this. We get the exposition dump. Now we're getting into the meat of the story. Um, and I've been talking for a while. So what do we think, guys? I call next because Jesus Christ, I am as in as you could possibly be through four episodes of a show. Like every single episode has gotten progressively better, in my opinion. And I still loved episode one as, a, as an opener. So that just says a lot about my opinion. I'm super biased already. This This show, the hype train in my head, it's going off the rails. I love everything. I'm I'm falling in love with um uh, with Dream's performance. I think he's just so great at what he does. Like he doesn't show emotion, but he still conveys a lot of emotion at the right time. And these new characters that get introduced, I think, will if we were to do a character rankings, would definitely make my top three because I loved Joanna. She was amazing, um, played by Jenna Coleman. She's been in other things like Captain America, the first Avengers. She's been in some random things, but um, she was awesome. And then, of course, I agree with what you said about Brienne of Tarth being amazing as Lucifer Morningstar. Yeah, just to hop off what Luke was saying, these two were not, I'm not going to say so much better than episodes one and two, but definitely cemented this as a, a just an excellent TV show. I've been absolutely loving the watch throughs. I feel like I'm just constantly like awing at certain events that happen in each episode. And it's just enough. They give you enough information to keep you interested while still giving you enough mystery that you just want to keep watching the episodes. It was definitely very hard at the end of four for me to not continue on with five with the cliffhanger that we got. But these two episodes were my favorite by far so far. And it's just, I can't believe that this show just has been under our radar. And now it's just, Everyone in our chat's been blown up about it, and we're all super excited to be covering it on the podcast. Under your radar. Yeah, under my <laughs> radar. The old by far so far. You love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by far so far, I am loving this. Like it is, I I mean, the world building is just insane because there's almost there's so many realms. There's so many realms and so much to do uh, that there's so much information to to just tease us and little conversations here and there and uh they're, they're just dropping names that you know might come back later in the season maybe even more it's just so cool and i am totally in love with uh the actor who plays dream what's his name tom sturridge tommy sturridge well he's a beast if that's correct i gotta double check that but uh yeah this is i mean absolutely yeah, insane and, correct. okay cool um, and I was a little hesitant with the introduction of Matthew, the Raven. I was like, okay, is this like Pat knows what's the man? Don't get me wrong. The guy who voices him. Um, also the voice of the deep skills in season two, a little yes, tie in that. Yes. 
um i was like a little nervous i was like do we really need this comedic relief in this like deep dark serious show but he's fucking killing it so far i really like him um and it's just setting up for a great finale i was not expecting Patton oswald to be the voice actor of the i didn't even expect the bird to speak and then when he did i was like one it's great that he is able to talk and two it's great that it's uh Patton oswald so and yeah, go ahead. We, we got some cool information because we were talking about oh, when Chesme died, how come she didn't go back into the dreaming? We actually got a little bit of information here. Apparently, Matthew was alive a few hours ago, died, and now he became a raven. And Lucien just is telling him where to go. So just the fact that people, real like humans die and then can transfer into ravens somehow, like that's really cool. By more information, you mean more variables that make it confusing because <laughs> I still yes. don't really understand. But I, I get what you're saying. I, it was I took that away from that. They addressed it. I took away from that. That reincarnation is a thing in this universe, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. But it adds another layer of in like, a way, is it yeah. always dreams realm that reincarnation happens into? Or like it, it, there's just, again, too many variables, not enough information. It would all just be guesswork by us right now. The only thing I want to mention really quickly is Luke already gushed over Joanna. I'm going to gush over uh, John. I thought his performance in this, uh, a.k.a. Lupin from Harry Potter, a.k.a. David uh, Thewlis. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I, f- I think I fell in love with John as a villain like so easily when he broke out of the the insane asylum. So we'll get there when we get there, but I just wanted to shout out his performance. I He crushed it as a, a, an upcoming villain for me. You guys ready to start into the episode and we'll keep bringing up things that we liked and didn't like and, you know, all that good stuff. Get it. So episode three, dream a little dream of me. And this is Joanna Constantine's um, her first appearance. We heard about her in the last episode from the fates. And what we're going to cover in this first conversation is just her introduction, including her nightmare that she's been seeing all the way through her performing the satanic ritual to send the demon back to hell and dream shows up in the church. So just those couple First 15 minutes of the episode. What an introduction, man. I mean, just the opening scene with like her bum baby daddy just summoning a demon for fun, just wild. He's like bored and he had pulls out the satanic ritual book. Um, I assume that the young girl Astra was the daughter of Logue and Joanna. Logue was a dude's name. I want to call him Tristan Thompson though, because he seemed like a bum baby daddy. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I can't really tell, but it seems like Logue is definitely the father of Astra and Joanna, whether it's the biological or, you know, stepmother, whatever, mother figure in her life. So and- Astra said something like he said it was an accident, just like what happened to mom. So it seems like he fucked up uh, a ritual previously, and that resulted in the death of Astra's biological mother. Okay, I'm totally there with you. So I can reasonably assume that Joanna is not the mom? Mm-hmm. Yes, but Logue does seem to be the dad. Yes, confirmed. Okay. I'm in love with Joanna. <laughs> She's awesome. We all are. Yeah. Dude, she just walks around with her tits out, man. She like is so confident. It's great. And I love the line where, I mean, it's jumping ahead, but when she's like, get in line, bro. Yeah. Like talking, talking to one of the endless. Like, God, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool that we did get to see the satanic ritual thing that Logue was doing, because again, that just means there's just rant. It's kind of like hedge witches from the magician. There's just random bits of magical information out there. And if you look for it and find it, you can get it and be super irresponsible with it, just like in this case. So I think there's just going to be a bunch of just stray humans that are randomly just 
bumps in the road for all of our main characters because anybody can get a hold of these rituals clearly and yeah i'm i'm interested to find out because obviously we know you know roderick burgess the magus he was powerful enough to actually um you know trap dreams so mm-hmm. i wonder if it's like the magicians in the sense that there are people out there that are just attuned to the magic more than other people or if like an average joe can just pick up one of these books and just start spitting i think an average joe can but i, I that's cool know. if it yeah. is mm-hmm I like that she's already pretty adept at magic too. Um, she's she seems to appear to be a famous exorcist of some sort because one, she's about to exorcise a demon that they think is within the princess, and you know the the priest that she meets with is offering to double, triple her fee, and she's obviously taking the bait on, and she's like, okay, yeah, I'll, she clearly loves money. Um, so I thought that was a really cool introduction to her character, like you guys were saying. I want to go back to what Paul was saying about could any average Joe do a ritual? I have reason to believe that that's not the truth. I said in the last recording that I thought the Burgess, the Burgess lineage and that name were going to mean something. I feel like the Constantines clearly have a leg up than the average Joe in terms of magical capabilities. So I feel like some people are more inclined or less inclined. And I feel like the Burgesses and the Constantines are two of those families, which is why I'm a little nervous about Johnny boy Me too. moving around with that Ruby. Yeah. Just to like talk about her appearance again, she's just so confident and just charismatic on screen and just how she handles supernatural people like that old lady who shows up and warns her about the Sandman coming back, drops yeah. the knowledge that she's 280 years old. She doesn't even blink and just walks right past dream into the church Cause she's, cause you know, she seems like she just isn't bothered by these supernatural aspects, which is again, just awesome because someone that's just already in the deep end of the magical world and just a badass and clearly good. And it seems like all these characters that we've been introduced through the first three episodes are evil besides her. Like even John and Ethel were questionable. And now I think John's leaning evil. It's good to have somebody on dream side besides Matthew and Lucien. She's not afraid to tell it like it is. And when she's talking about the football player that the princess is marrying and he's, she's just like, Oh, he's rubbish. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. not afraid to speak it like how it is. Mm-hmm. Kevin Brody is rubbish. <laughs> um, to go back to that old lady, Hetty, I think her name was um, only got that from subtitles. She is really, really interesting. I liked her a lot uh, just because one that she had, the knowledge that dream was coming back and escaped. That's just cool. I don't know how she does that, but, she, but she seems way more supernatural mm-hmm. than like Joanna kind of did just in general. Maybe it's because she's been around for 280 years. Um, but I also at the end, you know, you kind of see her Hetty talking to dream like one-on-one before Joanna walks up and I'm like, you got to have some cred to be able to walk up and be like, Oh, it was good to, Good to have you back, my lord, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's so cool. She's she's a boss, and I want her to come back and kind of meet other people like her. See what the deal is. I had no idea what her deal is, so I'm glad you asked all those questions. So I don't need to. I I, I liked her. I'm glad she was there. I was like, why is she there? And I moved on. I took it totally as she's just another Lucien type character that's a servant of dream and was one of the people that decided to leave the dream realm once it was 
long enough to realize, okay, dream's not coming back, you know, and Lucian was the only one that stayed obviously, but Ooh, just, that's a good, that's a good guess. Yeah. yeah I just, that's, I don't know why she was giving when she said 280 years old, I was like, okay, she's definitely a servant of dream. And like Paul said, she confirms it by saying my Lord to mm-hmm. dream when he yeah. comes back. So I think, I hope all the servants that we've been introduced to so far, create this like round table of characters that are kind of like low key badass or at least magical enough to like fend for themselves. So we'll see, but and still help dream. Yeah. And still be able to help dream out. So they all seem loyal. Let's take us back to the church here and get this, this ceremony because we get some baseline rules of some of the magic that's going on in the world. And, and what Joe's here to do is perform an exorcism and everything you've ever seen from the exorcist movies seems to apply. Like, even if you've seen the comedy, this is the end. Like if you start doing um latin and holding the cross sign up it clearly works and expels demons and this was an awesome scene because even though joanna cuts us short from getting some real good information from this new demon it was just amazing cgi of him destroying the the like being being summoned out of the footballer that he was inside and splitting him in half and he knew who dream was and even though he wasn't a servant of dream he still like put the respect on his name and all of that and didn't even want to go back to his own realm in hell. Just a lot of good, subtle information you get from that interaction. Uh, and, you know, just badass that he still even put weight on dream being an endless. I like that they killed the footballer and provided that level. Cause at first, sometimes when you do those exorcisms, like the people are fine afterwards, like the demon kind of just like gets vomited out of them and they're still fine. But that is physically what would happen. Mm-hmm. Like you would just oh, yeah. absolutely get split in half. So I really like that aspect. Did like the little twist that was provided because we were led to believe that it was the princess yep. that was yep. the one being exercised. And she even had those like weird cues in the beginning where she's kind of grabbing the footballer's hand pretty strongly. So I'm like, okay, she's got some strength to her a little bit, maybe. And then once she starts speaking the Latin, it's the footballer that's kind of throwing up a little bit or like gagging. And then you kind of dawns on you like, okay, he's actually the one with the demon and demon looked badass. He was probably like eight feet tall too. He was towering over Joanna. Paul and B-Towns, you know who that reminded me of was uh, from Spartacus. From Spartacus. Yes. Barca. Barca. Yes, yes, yes. Is it Barca? Yeah, Barca. No, it is. Oh, sweet. I'm proud of myself. Then That was good. I didn't remember his name. Never forget. Yeah, it's Barker. Barker's a beast. But uh, this whole uh, interaction between Agalaith and was the demon's name and Dream was so cool because just the, the pure flexing of, of Dream's knowledge is so cool. He just comes in. He's like, that demon's name is Agalaith. Mm-hmm. Like, he just knows stuff so much. And like Agalaith, like you were saying, puts respect on his name. Like, oh, thank you for recognizing me after all this time, like, and remembering my name, uh, he gives him a jab about his helm. And that's when he gets to wheeling and dealing about, I wonder which demon has your helm, you know, I'll give you the name. If, uh, you give me the princess and then Joanna keeps going and he's like, all right, fuck fine. I'll give you the name. Just don't send me back. (laughs) Another Um, nod to how badass she is, is how endless tries to be like, I command you to stop. And the demon's just like, yo, dream of the endless commands you to stop. And she's like, go back to hell. You fucking bitch. Yeah. Badass. Cool under pressure. She really is. She was like, fuck it. I want my money. Um, But I actually didn't like the setup for this scene because when Joanna and Vic, Rick, the Vic or Victor, Rick, I can't remember um, the the woman who called her there. Yeah. Rick, the Vic. Like she comes in and then they hear like a woman screaming and you see on the subtitles, like young woman's voice, like, what are you doing to me? So like, what was that? If she's not actually 
you know, possessed. It was almost like they were trying to build up the moment of the actual exorcism, but by doing that, they fucked with the continuity of the, well, of like, the scenes. What if the possessed footballer was like grabbing her because of the demon inside? That dialogue makes sense. I also think that we got enough information to assume that the princess is kind of a biatch. And so maybe she <laughs> was just kind of throwing a hissy fit pre marriage and just like, oh, you got to, you know, everything's not perfect right now. So I, I just took it as in the moment, I took it as, you know, she's possessed, whatever. But looking back, I just think that's maybe just her being a biatch. Yeah, I mean, I, either way, at the end, it was it was all about Agalith and uh, Dream talking, mm-hmm. and then you know Joe putting her away. So fuck that princess anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, real quick, do you think yeah, Kevin Brody became a famous footballer because he made a deal with a demon? It was like make me good at footy, and right. I'll sell my soul to you. You wouldn't yeah, have been true. rubbish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> true. Yeah, he wouldn't have been a bad footballer. <laughs> yeah, if you made a deal. Yeah. Right, fine. All right, so let's move right along here. And then the next couple of scenes we'll talk about are just going to be more exposure to Joe's nightmare and Dream showing up in her apartment building and then the quest to set out to find the sands. And then we'll we'll end this conversation when they are right outside Rachel's apartment building before Joe goes in. So a couple of good scenes here. And it does actually start off with that conversation you already referenced, Paul, when Joe walks out of the church and, and sees the the old lady talking to the my lord thing, and that's when Matthew gets introduced to. I love the introduction from Matthew here. Like I said in the beginning, I did not actually expect the bird to physically speak. He says, "What's your name?" It's, there's like a pretty long pause. I'm like, okay, maybe they're just talking telepathically, and then he's like, "Oh, I'm Matthew." I'm like, "Damn, all right." And Pat and Oswald, like, let's go. I'll take it. I I fucking mm-hmm. I think Matthew was a good. Uh, is a good comedic relief character that maybe the show didn't desperately needed or desperately need, but the show had been pretty serious and we hadn't really gotten that like a comedy based character besides like Kane and Abel who were only in it for that one scene really. So I think to have a consistent comedic relief character is pretty good for the show. And I think it's a good one with Matthew. He also doesn't know what the hell is going on with Dream either, so he has to ask a lot of questions. So it's just another exposition dump character. And I'm I'm also curious if, one, if the Sandman always has ravens in the source material, two, if Matthew is one of his ravens in the source material, and three, how the community is receiving this Matthew, because I could see this coming across very cringe to someone who, like, passionately loves the actual raven in the in the comics it's like if roach from the witcher could speak and like they're just kind of recycling roaches and it's did they do a good enough job on matthew we'll have to see i wonder if the reddit will give us some answers without spoiling too much i think that it's because of how centered their dialogue is with giving exposition it probably is part of the source material and i also feel like that would be one of the most common complaints from um traditionalists if that's the, even the right word like the people that yeah. are, care so much about the source material so i would guess he probably is um relevant you know and i think i think pat and I, I was like you I, or i forget who said it paul or brian was a little bit hesitant in the beginning but the, yeah then it grew on me that by the end when he's saying fuck and like he's actually giving yeah. advice i was in mm-hmm. i think he has the best line of the episode which is the last line of the episode mm-hmm. um but to continue with you know joanna walking away um and matthew being there uh 
like saying, oh, like you lost it. Did you guys get bothered by that at all? First, by being like Dream didn't even know that this Raven was following him, but Joanna did. I'm not too bothered by it because I was like, he's not expecting one to be following him, so he's not going to be looking for one. Um, but then also, too, like Joanna just walking away and him having no idea. I was like, come on, you're an endless. You got to be paying a little bit more attention. I did not. I was like, okay, he got distracted by the Raven. Joanna took the opportunity and left. So yeah, I didn't. You know what? Look yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take that back because mm-hmm. it's the first Raven he's seen since Jess and me, and I'm yeah, sure he he's still totally thrown off. And he's emotional. probably yeah mad at Lucien too for even suggesting to have this Raven mm-hmm. come to him. So he was emotional. Yeah, that also could be intentional to show us that while he is like Dream of the Endless, he still is like a flawed character. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. he has made several mistakes so far, you know, and been caught off guard. But yeah, like asking two questions, six questions to the fucking face <laughs> when he only gets three. Um, so I actually have one more question about Dream, and I guess it's easiest to just go along with what happens next. And you know, Dream's talking to Matthew, saying like, "All right, well, she's asleep. Then I know exactly how to find her." We get the nightmare. She wakes up from the nightmare. And Dream is there. Well, Can first of Dr- all, that nightmare was wild. But if yes, you wanna, if I don't want to point before we get to that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah so I don't want to skip the, over that. You got the A train treatment. Dude, or, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Um, okay. So, but before we go into the nightmare, you know, Joanna wakes up and Dream is there. Can Dream teleport in the real or not the real realm, the realm of humanity, the waking realm? Can I think he it's, teleport? I think it's more like if someone's dreaming he can access that dream and then appear in front of them after they have dreamt. That's how I took it too. So it's not like he's physically teleporting just at the command of his will. It's just, he can only travel to places that people are dreaming is how I took it. Yep. Yeah. Because with his sand, he can pretty much do whatever, but this is before. This is the first time he's ever been truly free. Cause the, if you're going to reference anything to do with the first time we saw him do this, it was because he was still trapped a little bit and like, just yeah, didn't have any power it. right now. I think there's no reason to think that this is even an overpowered ability because this is his ability. Like he is a monarch of the dreaming. So he needs yeah. to have abilities like this. And I think this was perfectly in line with who his character is, is the king of dreams because he was in the nightmare, like the nightmare happened and then she woke mm-hmm. up. So, and he was in the nightmare watching it. Right. And then she woke up and he was there. So I, that's, um, that's why I'm just emphasizing. I think it's still the fact that he's just traveling through dreams and that's how we can get places yeah i guess the only thing i had to add was the fact that he was able to intentionally go from the dream realm to london after like he found out the last time the thing got dealt it was in london he was like all right i'm going to london so he can pinpoint it in that way or did he go through a dream to get there originally i wouldn't have enough knowledge to know but i you could assume that he did through a dream like people are probably sleeping in london still he jumped in the water. He jumped in the sea of dreams when he was leaving his realm. And he told Lucien, you know, Joanna's only human. Um, you know, I'm sure. And he's talking about the Constantines. If there's anything like her ancestors, they'll serve me well. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. he jumped into the sea of dreams in his realm. And then I guess the first time we see him is just at the church in London. So it goes back to traveling through dreams without his sand, because once he gets the sand, all bets off. He fucking teleported right to the Ruby in the, in the crate. I'm good with the dream power. And yep. that essentially means he can 
teleport pretty much anywhere with or without a sand so long as and, people are and this is only talking mm-hmm. about within earth realm like earth is mm-hmm. its own realm so it's not like he's just teleporting to lucifer's throne room like it's, yeah. i think this is earth realm no seems like a pretty neutral ground for all the endless so i would think that he should be able to do this thing i'm fine with all that i think we move talk about this this nightmare because like you said dave that girl that we got introduced to at the beginning of this episode totally gets the Robin slash a train treatment from the boys. And that seems like a defining characteristic of Joe's personality and why she's so, sti- I guess not standoffish, but ha- likes to be a lone wolf. So she doesn't involve her powers and deeming slaying things involve people around her. Yeah. She was saying that to dream as they're walking to the apartment. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but most people around me ended up getting split in half or dragged down to hell. So, you know, that explains a lot. She didn't worry about that until Astra got taken. My question now is, do we think that there is a chance that that girl is alive? Hell yeah. Okay. I think she I, that's, is. I'm glad you, I just needed one person to say yes, because I, yes. I guess this just might be my experience with TV. It's just, if I don't get that on screen, like actual death, I'm just yeah. assuming that she got teleported to another realm potentially. And she's just well, now hell, missing because everything yeah, that she, Joanna does is send people to hell. So I think she's yeah. missing. She would be missing an arm in hell is what I, I honestly was hoping that we would get her with like a hook hand or something <laughs> in hell in episode four. But mm-hmm. we didn't. So maybe we'll go back. But I mean, her death, 100 percent Astra's own fault. I mean, yeah. she was told oh, to yeah. stay here. Don't run in to where a giant demon is. Once she, she fucking runs in. I think the more interesting part of this scene is after she wakes up and dream is kind of just looking around and gaining information about Joe, Joanna. I don't know if I can call her Joe. I don't think that's ever been said, but easier for taking. I think Rachel calls her Joe. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. But uh, what was really great is when everything clicked for Joanna about dream and Roderick Burgess, AKA Tywin, when she starts saying about talking about the legend of the Burgesses and like how she even refers to, Roderick as the demon king and they say they they even said he had the devil himself locked up in his basement that was such a click moment for her and Mm -hmm. I don't know just seeing the revelation on her face it seems like everything connected for her and she's now got more and more into the idea of like okay this guy's an endless I can possibly work with him uh I feel like he did a good job of showing that's a pretty touchy subject for Morpheus dream whatever you want to call him you know, he was sensitive right when she brought him up. He got like real steely eyed and looked right at her like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I've been through. Changed the subject by picking up like the photo booth pictures. I was like, oh, is this you? You look happy and all that. He was like, I don't want to talk about me. Mm-hmm. It's gross. I hope Roderick is referenced for at least more seasons to come. I just think that was such a great starting point for them. And the fact that even 100 years after his death, people still infamously know of him and what he had done and people thought he was i guess crazy it sounded like originally but once word got out that he had captured a demon or you know the devil the devil said, yeah. yeah i that's just so much respect for roderick burgess who was a short-lived character in in the eyes of the viewer but i hope his legacy lives on as like the demon king rowdy rich yeah roddy i would rich. i wouldn't mind him popping back as like a flashback or seeing him like in another realm like in hell or something like that mm-hmm Ready to move along? Yep. So what gets us into the next part of their scenes is she finally agrees to help him out after that revelation and after the promise of him removing the nightmare, the reoccurring nightmare that she's having. 
She's like, all right, I know where it is. It actually clicked because he saw the picture of her being happy with her ex, Rachel. That was a good scene because add a little bit more layer to Joanna. Anyway, the next couple scenes we're going to talk about is the rest of their things together for this first episode. And this is just going to the apartment building, Joanna actually going up and having the vision. And then we'll just talk about Dream giving her the peaceful death and then just close out Dream and Joanna for episode three. So a lot to talk about here, but let's let's move right to outside of Rachel's apartment. It was so funny. Joanna's going in. Dream's like, I'm, I'm coming with you. She's like, dude, do you have any idea how much you hate me right now? Do you have any ex-girlfriends? And then he's like, okay, fine. I'll wait outside. I won't wait for long, though. Um, and that's cool because they talked about an ex-girlfriend next episode. We exactly. We got an ex-girlfriend. Yep. Um, but did this bother you? Because how the hell did Rachel buzz in Joanna? No idea. Only you would have the answer to that because you're the only person here that has to buzz someone in. I was like, uh, I was like, oh, my God, she must have been expecting somebody else. No, she's in bed. How the hell does she open it? I don't know. Maybe it was that's the sands. A good that's a good question. Maybe it's the sands. Just I don't I don't. That's the, my only explanation is the sands are supernatural. Really need, so, yeah, I was going to say, do you really need an explanation when it's just supernatural events going on? Like, I like rules. I like rules, David. I thought this was a really well done scene because I was not expecting, again, this mini twist within here because things kind of start off pretty well between them. They're kind of rec- reconciling their differences. And, you know, of course, what's her name again? The Rachel. Rachel is like fishing for an apology. And then things start to get dark pretty quickly because, you know, but before it gets Paul's dark, sexiest scene. Paul's sexiest ha- scene. Yeah. Paul, actually, it happens. Uh, Joanna and Rachel are making out a little bit. And then that's when the emotional turn kind of kicks in. Rachel's looking for an apology from Joanna and then dream steps in and just clears away this entire fake scene that never was actually happening. And we see the poor bedridden Rachel. And I thought that was crazy. I really did not expect that at all. Me too. I also want to talk about the conversation between dream and Matthew that happens outside where he's essentially giving his take on humanity. And we also get to find out a little bit layer by layer who he was as a human and it kind of seems like he was a bit of an asshole and he was just like hey man i know what it's like out here it's tough they're probably plotting against you right now that's what i would have been doing and that's what gets dream up there to try and break up the conversation um and it's a nice thing i was talking about in the last recording how dream kind of looks down on humanity or it alludes to he has negative perceptions of humanity. And then he has Matthew just completely validating those thoughts. But then he gets a one-on-one with Joanna, who is showing the other side of humanity. Mm -hmm. And when we see what happens to Rachel and she's like decaying and dream just walks out, she's like, Fuck that. You are not letting my ex go out that way. She's like one of the good people. We're not all like Roderick and me. And even he has to step in and be like, no, 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 no. You're a different kind of bad than Roderick was. So it's just I like that we're getting. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't bring it home. But yeah, he's getting a perspective (laughs) from of humanity from Matthew that he normally wouldn't get. Um, And uh, to go off of that joanna last line saying you're not leaving her like this like she goes to explain you know you you say you want to save humanity all the time well guess what fucking humanity's right here what are you going to do about it um and we've kind of gotten it a few times that dream is seemed to be perceived conceived 
Dream is <laughs> seemed to be perceived as like almost selfish and only cares about himself. Corinthian said it at the end of episode two when he got sent back and he's talking to Lucienne. So I don't know if we're going to see some um, character development from Dream about, you know, maybe I have to save humanity and do my job and my duties, but maybe that doesn't mean I have to resent them and hate them. Maybe he, he will like kind of grow to see where they're coming from. I love all of this conversation because the the idea that I was thrown off because I thought Matthew was going to be an angel on his shoulder the whole time. But you guys know me. I love a morally gray being. And that seems what Matthew's going to be. Not only is he just like comic relief, but he's also giving him like a realistic human point of view on humans. And then out of nowhere, like you're saying, Joanna gives him this other side that kind of creates a deeper connection between Dream and the humans. Like he sees it through her because she's slightly changing her. So that's slight character development right there. And I really liked it because Dream, I don't see Dream as evil in any capacity at all. I think he is almost he's probably the most pure, endless based on what we're with the information we've been given so far. So I love all that. He, he gives her the, the peaceful death in her sleep, just like all around. This was just a great scene for both Joanna, Matthew and dream. Like it was just a good ending to this episode. And I just thought, you know, it solidified who these characters are and how they're going to be affecting each other as the season goes on. They had a quick line and I don't know if it is real or not, because it was technically when Rachel and Joe were dreaming, you know, mm-hmm. Rachel was up and talking and she was like, okay, when you left that night, I called all of your exes. And Joanna was like, you did? Who'd you call? And she looked pissed and she was like, Sarah, Oliver, Kit Ryan. I don't know who Kit Ryan is, but she seemed, Joanna seemed like she was pissed that whoever this was, was brought back in. And the fact that we got the first and last name. Did cool. you pick up on the fact because i didn't write this down i wasn't going to bring this up but are you sure those are the names that she says yes because and i was going to google them but i didn't want any spoilers coming up the right only now. reason i'm bringing this up now and i'm jumping ahead a little bit is that i'm pretty sure that rosemary's daughter name is named sarah but i that's probably a total coincidence but when she's telling john when he's in the backseat of his car about her two daughters mm. sarah is one of them sarah um, and samantha and i'm sorry paul what were you how was it different, Sarah? What were those names? Sarah Oliver, no, Sarah, comma, Oliver, comma, and Kit Ryan. So three people. They don't overlap names in shows unless they really need to. So that's a great pickup, which I didn't get. I would think that that can't get by without it being like a crazy coincidence. Kit Ryan is also such a unique name that how can that not be a major player going forward? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just feel true. like no one's name is Kit Ryan. So. Might as well. Yeah, they said the first and last names. Like Chip yeah. Skylark. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I was. Uh, who are these three people? Who was talking about them? I missed the context. It, it was it was uh, Joanna's exes. Because remember when uh, Rachel's kind of saying, "I even called your exes to see if you had run Got back it. to them." Yep. Yeah, and she yeah. lists those names. But I was honestly getting a little sexual tension in this next scene between Joanna and Dream. Just a little bit. Oh, I'm all in. I'm for sure. I'm I all in. Too, I'm all in too. Don't get me wrong, but. I just was getting a little hints of it. Just, I think he like she's walking away from him. He pops like a little smile. I'm like, okay, this could be doable. This could be doable. So you're talking about after they leave the apartment building, too, yeah. Right? So like, yeah, uh, they're talking about it. Uh, Matthew shows up and he's like, that was a nice thing you did. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff. And then yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was that. I felt the same way, and I'm hoping it is that. But it also could just be mutual admiration because now 
Joanna is completely in on Dream being a benevolent force because she he did the right thing with her girlfriend. So I don't know. It could be either of just them kind of respecting each other because she also impacted him. But at the same time, whatever it is, I just hope Joanna's in a lot more of this season. Episode four put that down a little bit more for me because we already got we got introduced. This is jumping ahead a little bit, um, but we got introduced to Dream's ex-girlfriend. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's also a potential love interest for Dream going forward. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I just was definitely getting that vibe at the end of that. And so, Paul, you don't you think the best line of these two episodes happened at the end of episode four? Uh, uh, no, this line right yeah, here. Yeah, it's this one, one hundred percent. Go ahead. It's so good. So Matthew's talking to Dream. He's like, "So where are we headed next?" And you know, after arguing whether or not Matthew is even going to come along with Dream, he's like, "You know what? You might be useful." So you know, just just hang on tight. And he's like, "Cool. Where are we going?" He goes, "Hell." He goes, uh, I don't know, like hell, like hell, hell. Like, I don't know about that. Like Lucien will not be in favor of hell going, but I have a feeling that you're not listening. So fuck it. Let's go to hell. Yes. Oh my God. It was so good. Just, just fuck it. We're going to hell. Like he's just, he's just leaning in. It's so perfect. And once that line was delivered in the way it was by uh Patton, I was all in. Like I wasn't looking back. Matthew's good in my book. All right. So that is the end of dream sequence scenes in all of episode three so what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of overlap between episode three and four and we're going to start with everything to do with john burgess aka ethel cripps's son um so we're going to cover all of his scenes in episode three with ethel herself and then we're going to flow right into his scenes in episode four just because it's all kind of connected and it might as well be in the same episode and then after we close off with the rosemary and john stuff we'll leave the last scene alone to converge with all of dreams scenes in episode four so let's back up a little bit in episode three here and we're back in buffalo new york we're still in the prison this is exactly where we left off at the end of episode two and we just have some good dialogue front to back here for ethel and john them catching up kind of reconciling here and some big, big moments and dialogue happens around the amulet of protection. But let's talk about everything that happens here until Ethel's death. I'm just going to jump right into the amulet of protection talk because we had discussed it in our first episode or first two episode recording that we were under the assumption that the Ruby was what kept her young all those years. But she explicitly says here that the amulet of protection is what kept me young all these years. I still believe that the Ruby just as a side effect would extend her life as well. Like even if she was just around it, I still think she would have not aged at all. Like we already got that confirmation too, but it was just a little weird that both of these gems offered the same abilities of extending life, which was, I wasn't crazy about because why not? I guess I get where she's coming from, where she wants to get rid of the Ruby. So she doesn't have dream come after her, but at the same time, I don't know. She uh, it's, it's weird. I'll buy it because that's obviously an established perk of the Ruby and she sought out an amulet of protection. I feel like that that would extend your life like an amulet of protection is supposed to protect you, i.e. not die, i.e. not age. So like she was Mm -hmm. looking for something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. yeah, I'm not like totally disagreeing because I I had the same thoughts, too. But like the actual verbiage, I believe, was she said it kept me alive. For 116 years um mm-hmm. and i took that as people were coming for her this whole time i i still agree though Ooh, that's a good point 
Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. Okay. So I don't think it, it, there's a chance that the amulet itself wasn't keeping her young and it was still being, you know, the Ruby, but I feel like, okay. So to back up Corinthians said, just being around and endless has its benefits. And then dream goes on to say that these objects that he has are part of him. So even though it's a bag of sand, it's still part of dream still. Right. You know, so the vestments are synonymous with basically being around the endless and getting the benefits. That's how I'm taking it in certain aspects, because the sands literally killed Rachel. Like that's what the sand, but it was also, so it's not it like, was keeping her alive. She yeah, said it's keeping it's her the, alive, but that was, those were also the reasons she, like if she'd never had that bag of sand, I don't think she would have looked like that. Well, right? she didn't eat. She didn't eat or anything. I thought she was just laying there for six months. And that's why she became like that because she sat in bed and was basically high huh. on the sands the whole time. I didn't think about it like that, but I think yeah. that would be a good explanation as well. Okay. Make it some good points. Yeah. <laughs> it's also worth saying that John only stole the Ruby 30 years ago. So she was in possession of the Ruby and its effects up until 30 years ago. And it looked like in the scenes where she was in the hospital prison with John, she had aged into her fifties or something like she looked intentionally older than when she was young in like the flashbacks to Roderick era. Like she had aged. Maybe that was just how I took it. Yeah. I'm with you. I think you guys like Paul, you actually made a lot of good points there and the specificity of the dialogue there changed the entire thing for me when you because she does say the amulet of, amulet of protection kept her alive for 116 years nothing about the aging but once she takes it off she does age so that gets weird again uh, I, yeah i agree I what didn't... i'll just say is that this is honestly through three episodes this is the first red flag of writing i've seen which is kind of good because it's not that big of a deal because of all these random variables that can also keep you young like being around the endless the vestments the amulet of protection all of this shit can kind of play out where maybe there are no plot holes in the writing, but this is the first red flag through almost three hours of television in a fantasy series. So I'm honestly okay with it. But again, it bothered me. This is the first thing that truly bothered me. I guess it would make sense if you had an, even just in our world, you know, just the regular world, if we came across a magical item, it would make sense that it would just, no matter what, extend your life just a little bit. You know, just it would surge you some power, I guess, you know, just to make you live longer. But yeah, we might be overthinking it a little bit, but yeah, maybe just like a tiny little red flag. I see why well. Alki complained about it to us now. Yeah, because he had this information when we were having the conversation and we only had the information of episodes one to two. So we weren't having a full conversation, but it makes sense. I don't know. It was so worth what is bringing up still. What is the exact problem, though, that you're taking issue with that? She dies after she takes it off. It could have there could be like a possession or ownership aspect to it because she traded for it and then she passed it down intentionally to John, who then intentionally gave it to Rosemary. It's a stretch. I don't know. I'm saying we don't have enough information, really. Hmm. And then we might get it it. because it feels like investment conversations are bound to happen constantly and power conversations. So I, I think we put a pin in it. There's nothing else we can really take away. I think we voiced our complaints in a respectable yeah. way yeah like it's not yeah. a big deal it's just something that makes us as viewers a little bit more confused yeah because we're uh, pretty damn we... near perfect up to this point <laughs> in my head <laughs> yeah yeah really i mean it's supernatural right so you gotta have like wiggle room to a certain degree um, i also but don't go... like the the buzzer thing either now 
Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so I keep ruining the show. Yeah. Um, to go back to John talking to Ethel in the beginning, we kind of get more of his background of, you know, oh, yeah, I killed those people, but they were bad people. They were trying to steal from me. Mm-hmm. So, like, how long did John have this ruby before he went crazy and killed these people? We know he's been in prison for or hospital, psychiatric hospital for, for 30 years. So I, I would like to get a timeline to mm-hmm. see how much time he spent with the Ruby to be able to do what he did at the end of episode four. I could see us getting some flashbacks of it because he does mention this is the perfect time to mention it, that he had tinkered with the Ruby so that only he could use yeah. it. So I would like to see what exactly he did that meant tinkering. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be a good explanation and help us get a little bit of the timelines more clear as well. Did we also cover that while in prison, John put the dots together that he was Roderick Burgess's son? So now he is equipped with that information. Yeah, which is I've, good. We skipped over that, but that was like the first thing that they, that mm-hmm. got brought up between Ethel and John. You're right. This yeah. was a true reconciliation, though. Like she completely forgave him for everything yep. he did, and like she passed it on. And again, total mind fuck to me. I did not see Ethel going out this early. And I can I can just give the 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 approval to Brian's opinion in the beginning because she turned out to be almost (laughs) pure good. I have a note. Rip (laughs) Ethel. She died. One of the good ones (laughs) because she did the exact. Yeah. Love it. Ethel. Good job. Way to prove me right. She almost seemed like she learned because she was like, I want to give the ruby back. Like, I don't want this. Maybe he'll forgive us. She kind of learned how (laughs) powerful these forces are. Mm-hmm. that they're messing with but again did she know she was gonna die when she took the yeah I, like, yes he had to have right yeah, like, yeah absolutely yeah. she knew um i do like because in the beginning of this conversation john really does seem like he's gonna push more to to side with roderick um because the way his mom's like kind of lying to him he's like You've always lied to me about this stuff. And then when she says your father literally wanted to abort you, that was the switch in John's mind where it's like, okay, now I kind of see why you're a good person and what now I'm kind of getting the full picture of the abuse that you probably took from Roderick. Mm -hmm. So I I really like that John was smart enough to not follow in Roderick's path, but kind of side, have enough empathy for uh, his mom and what she had done for him and still make him a villain though. He's still going to be a villain, even with all this like, heart to heart that he had with his mother and like squashing a beef he's still going to be this villain which i can't wait to see well yeah that's the funny thing her dying words is nobody can hurt you now so you don't need the ruby just let it go and at the end of episode four he makes the conscious decision i don't want safety i want the ruby I think so, yeah, it's I mean, villain mode. I think that plays right into what happened to joanna's ex rachel it's kind of like the vestments are drugs yeah, like they would, make you mm-hmm. dependent on him. So I think that's John's reasoning because to me, give me the amulet of protection every day of the week. Holy shit, that thing is awesome. Someone shoots you oh, with yeah. a bullet, they explode. explode. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That was yeah. so crazy. And up until that moment, I was begging John to somehow turn into at least at worst a neutral force, but clearly by the end of episode four, he's going to be pure evil well, from a human side. He's kind of neutral in the sense that he does want 
he wants good in the world. You know, that was his, what was his exact quote at the end of episode four? He's like, I want to protect the world or some shit like that. He wants That's to save what the all world. villains claim exactly. they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Kane yeah, from no, Naruto no, no, no. thinks he's saving the he world. He could have been like, he could have been now. like, oh, I just want to Team murder Pain. everyone. Like, oh, my, these people yeah. killed my mom. I want to murder everyone. But he's like, no, I want to protect those who are good. So it's, Dave is a super villain in the making. I'm he is agreeing with John's John. ideologies. I no, but he, he, do, he does seem like he's going to be an awesome villain. And I'm almost glad he gave up the amulet because if he had the ruby and the amulet, nobody was touching this dude. Yeah. Oh I I agree with Dave, though. Like after episode two, I was, you know, it's Lupin. This is amazing. Like nostalgia. It's going to be great. And then he just turned it up to a whole nother level in every second of screen time he had just the way he was delivering dialogue calmly in the back of all the rosemary scenes the way he just seems he's obviously a little crazy and unhinged but he's also as calculated and kind of has some sort of magic sense he might not be as as um good at magic as maybe joanna or his father but he he seems like he's on the rise and he knows what these vestments are capable of doing. So it's going to be fucking awesome to see him be a whole separate force from the Corinthian if he doesn't team up with him, which I hope they don't. One thing that you said there just reminded me, I just wanted to bring this up too, is when Dream and Joanna are talking um, like in the bedroom or whatever, or maybe even before they get to uh, Rachel's apartment, he says... I need more magic than even you can muster. So that just is kind of emphasizing the gap between dream and maybe humans and Joanna. But it sounds like even in dreams eyes, Joanna is not even that strong of a magic wielder. Mm-hmm. So I still want some, some human like action to see like who would be the strongest magus or whatever you want to call it in the, as a human, you know? Yeah. So we haven't talked about a pretty big line that John had talking to Ethel where She's saying, you know, Sandman's back. Like, he's going to be coming for the ruby. And John's saying, why would we give up a ruby that makes dreams come true when we can dream of the world without a Sandman? So I'm like, shit. Like, is he just going to dream Morpheus away? Like, is he he's not going to exist anymore? Like, how? What did you do to this ruby? And what can the ruby grant? Like, is it only a dream for you? Like, I, I don't even know. It does put more weight on the power of the ruby. Hell yeah. And John, in that fact, now he's got it back. I feel mm-hmm. like Morpheus is definitely in a lot more trouble. He gave some very specific examples when talking to his mom about the powers, like when he was a kid saying, for my birthday, I just wished for a pony and it popped up or I, I wished for yeah. it to be winter in my room. And it was like, that's really cool because I didn't get that vibe from. I know they were saying it grants his wish. It grants wishes and nightmare, whatever, all that stuff. But like it's good to get specific examples of the kind of rules that we're working with. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, the, I was going to say, what are the rules for this amulet of protection here? No, because rules, baby, that's, we the got them. Um, <laughs> it almost looks like an, uh, like an eye. It yeah. looks like a pupil inside of a ring. So I don't know if it's part of a demon or what that was made in the trade, but I mean, first security guard that comes in, you know, don't even fucking, shoot him like come on let this woman that walked in is now a zombie she's a freaking mummy compared to when she she aged so much differently you got to know something's going on there don't fucking shoot that guy this was the thing that i really loved about john too is that to me he was being very genuine and sincere when he was telling the guard like don't please don't shoot me you're gonna regret Mm -hmm. it and he did the same thing at the uh, convenience store with the guy he's he had this tone in his voice that made me think he was sympathetic to these people 
He's not please, he's not the one killing them. Yeah, he's it's like, please don't him. shoot me. Like I will like something bad will happen if you do it. And he's warning them, but obviously <laughs> no one's exposed enough to magic to believe him. So you know who that reminds me of? Young Gara from Naruto when he's like yeah. Please don't hit me. And the sand just comes in and fucking fucks him up, yeah. kills everybody trying to assassinate him. He's like, look, I told you, please don't kill me. But Dave, what you what you just brought up right there is actually something that stuck out insanely for me for his character at the end of episode four. I know I know I'm jumping ahead, but we only have like one or two more scenes before we're there anyway, is the fact that I thought he was going to kill Rosemary. But then he proved again that he really isn't out here to fuck with you unless you're stopping him from doing his dream yeah. which is fine like you, you know that's much better than a pure evil like demon right like he's, he's doing he's he has a goal and if you're gonna fuck with him he, you're gonna be screwed over and he's trying to save as many lives as possible in his own head so i kind of like that aspect of it he's not just gonna be a demon Zeref from fairy tale yeah, that's a good point that's yeah. a good comparison yeah he just like happens to be just kill people he doesn't want to you but touch him just, you're gonna die yeah. <laughs> I like so that. how many does he get here? Is it is it three or is it five? He gets two three, in the kills? three out of the three at the hospital. So it's the first guard, the two in the the elevator, and then gas station employee. Gas station so yeah, four. In four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's I mean, let's just, move along to nuts. get us to that point because the only thing that happened, we covered the whole his escape from the psychiatric ward, but the only thing left that actually happens at the very, very end of episode three is the corinthian i don't even know if if we're using that wrong because i'll feel bad if some some ogs correct us that his name is actually corinthian but i like the corinthian sounds cool he knows bro he knows that he got out and he gives him the jacket Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. cool oh it's too cold out to be out here without a jacket it was like the only thing that matters to me is that you get to where you're going Yeah, that was so hot i was like these are going to be two of my favorite characters going forward i think right here it's the corinthian that they're just looking at each other oh that shit was hype man dave a super villain confirmed yeah Yeah, yeah. this is a a, this is a bad pairing that could be trouble but i too am excited for it dave because dream needs a worthy adversary he's a fucking god I'm putting this on the board right now. This is going to be one of our first board predictions that I'll read back in the finale episode. I want everybody's opinion. Are they going to be allies, Corinthian and John? Yes, but only in the sense that Corinthian's going to... I think John's just a pawn to him. I think John could probably be like a big bad of this season and then Corinthian maybe later down the road. I think Corinthian's just using him as a pawn. But yes, in a sense, I think that would make them allies. Dave's a yes. Paul? Um, I'm going to guess, yes, they are going to become allies because, uh, you know, Corinthian can't use the Ruby because it's made of the same stuff he is there to talk about that. But Corinthian's got all the info on dream and, you know, the dreaming and all that stuff. So hopefully uh, John will be able to hit dreams, weak points way harder. Okay. B Tom's. I think they'll be allies in the sense that Corinthian will try to help him against Dream and Jonathan will accept his advice and information. I think he might continue with the hands off approach. Just, hey, I'm just making I'm just pushing you in the right direction. I don't know if you'll be like his number two or they'll be like full on partners or what. But yeah, I think there will be some what of an alliance there. Okay, so that's three yeses, and I'll just put it on the board that I'm going to say no because I'm thinking with my heart here rather than my head. I think B-Towns, you put it perfectly of what I actually think will happen, but I'm begging for these two to be separate obstacles and not working together because even if they 
end up confronting each other too. That would be that seems to be fun television for me. So I'm putting. I will there. say, I think it would be good for John's character if he like met Corinthian, found out what his actual deal was, and he was like too extreme, too like much of a nightmarish demon for him. Like he has yeah, some morals. I don't know. All right, so let's take us to. We're gonna con- keep continuing on with John's stuff that happens in episode four, A Hope in Hell, and this is with Rosemary picking him up right after he met with the Corinthian. And we talked about a lot of this. I don't know if there's anything else you re- you guys really want to bring up about the specific conversation they have in the car, where he explains the backstory about his mother, aka Ethel, and how she was a thief. We kind of put that all together from the context of the first three episodes, um, and then the whole gas station thing happens. So anything else you guys want to bring up that we didn't cover before we get to the warehouse scene at the end? I just Um, really like the car scene. That's honestly really it. I thought John just did a really good job just kind of showing his, his, his colors a little bit to the point where it even worried Rosemary at first she was getting good vibes from him. And then she was like, Oh shit, maybe this guy's a little loony. He's a little crazy in the head. Um, And it was all very subtle. Like the, the escalation of it getting to the point where Rosemary has to call 911, I think, was just really well done. I, I just thought both acting performances, especially John's here, was really well done. I think there was a point where you can just see his acting flip like a switch where he went from kind of coming across as like a confused elderly man who doesn't know where he is to like kind of a manic murderer who like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble with this stranger in my backseat. Um mm-hmm. And I wanted I, to point that out, but also I think it was good to get how John perceived his mother when he's just saying it unfiltered, letting off steam to a stranger. Like he was just like, yeah, this is kind of why I am the way I am and a little bit fucked up. We were moving around all the time. Like she put me in prison. I didn't, I won't say I didn't deserve it, but like she did lock me up. I had to steal from her. Like it was a good conversation. Totally. It, it gave us a really good look at his mindset of how he views everybody. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I did some bad things that might be morally ambiguous, but there was people trying to take something of mine from me. Um, and then he even goes in deeper to say, you know, once you realize that all these other people are doing these actions because they're selfish, because they're, they're evil, it makes it easier to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And to go back to what you guys are saying, he's not really evil. He like he doesn't want to kill everybody. He just wants to kill the, who he perceives as bad people. It gives you a good idea of, of what he's trying to get rid of, and that's just don't fuck with him, and you should be good. It's kind of just forming his villain manifesto. Like these are mm-hmm. his goals, these are his exactly. aims, and it was a good scene to do it. They and did even- it in like minimal amount of minutes too, and it was super oh, yeah. effective. Mm-hmm. So like that's just good writing. Yeah. I love how he didn't lie at all either. Yeah. She was like, oh, like, what'd your mother do for a living? He was like, oh, she stole. Mm-hmm. And he, he never lied. And he even went on to ask her, like, what do you th- what do you think of lying Rosemary? And he's like, I think people lie to protect themselves. And she goes on to say, I think people lie because they're afraid um, and they don't want to get hurt. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, OK, Rosemary, you're a good person. <laughs> he right. was a little bit open to that viewpoint, too, which I appreciated. He was just like, hmm, you taught me something new about humanity, but now we can get to the gas station scene. 
even after I'm, I don't think I even have anything to mention. Yeah. On I that. think we did a good job of talking about that at first. Well, we are going to pick Good back up. up with Rosemary, but if there's anything else you wanted to, to bring up, B-Toms, go ahead. Nah, not really. You know how I just like to take us Let's from scene to Let's get to the scene. fucking meat and potatoes of this goddamn span of two episodes. Yeah, for real, for real. Hell yeah. Let's go to Tartarus, Hades, Avernus, a.k.a. Hell, baby. This is just... If you forgot how good the CGI was in the first two episodes because the third one didn't do too much, this brings us right the fuck back because the hellscape is incredible and the the palace that we end up seeing is just beautifully done all in this new realm. This is, you're going to count the dreaming earth and then this is our third realm we physically have seen. This is just the start of everything. I I think this is going to be so important. The characters we meet here, the character, I should say, maybe characters if you want to count Lucifer's underling, but Anyway, the first bucket of scenes we'll talk about is just the arrival of Matthew and Dream in hell, and then also just them walk, basically everything up until they get to the palace. So the whole meeting of Squatter Bloat, I think his name was, and then then meeting of the X, and then walking the path. So three big scenes, everything before the palace. First thing I want to say, hell looks incredible man they just add so many little things to it that don't really need to because mm-hmm. they, they don't explain it like when the gates opening like the, the the big second gate like blood starts bubbling up from the from the ground and it's like they don't they don't touch on it and you know it was only one second scene but it adds so much to the environment of what this realm is and they did a phenomenal job I mean, the first thing they see is all these damned, and they're like, I guess we should follow the damned. And Matthew's like, holy shit, they make you carry your own fire? <laughs> like, that's brutal. It's cold in hell. <laughs> I like that there appears to be a tier of punishment. Like, I'd rather be in a prison cell than growing inside of a tree. I yeah. don't know if you guys were thinking no, the yeah, same def- thing, but definitely. I appreciate tier, uh, tiers to the punishments. Mm-hmm. In I'd, hell. Be that, I'd be that stone wall guy who hands the dude the stone wall guy could you imagine doing that for eternity and it was really cool on the rewatch i noticed as he rung the bell everybody else of the stone people around there were like oh my god like covering their ears and screaming they like hated it so it was just like their own specific form of torture yeah dude there were some epic epic quotes here where shout out to solo leveling here dave i know you caught monarchs a bunch of times but when he when when Dream says to Matthew, a king may not enter another monarch's realm uninvited, there are rules. Just fuck yeah, inject that shit into my veins. I love the respect because Dream is nothing if not a sucker for all of these endless rules. And he's the only one that clearly like seems to hold to all of them. But this squatter bloat motherfucker is just trying to fuck with Dream when they first talk to each other. And Dream is just taking zero freaking respect. He's like, do you know who the fuck I am? Like, your fucking Lord will kill you if you find out what you're, how you're disrespecting me. Although we do find out that Lucifer has not a lot of respect for Dream and that Squatter Bloat was kind of in his right to be like, oh yeah, your Dream of the Endless, where's your crown? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't have that? Where's your, where's your ruby? Don't have that either? Well, who the fuck are you? But... The way he stands his ground is good. And I have to say, there's one at the door at the gate of damnation. Is it thief, thug, or whore? There's one at the door and there's room for one more until the end of creation. And Dream gets past him by saying a rhyme too, which I forget. But I feel like demons respond to rhyme schemes. Yes, he he did. 
Dream responded with, um, he was saying something about, should I use my ruby on you and mm-hmm. fucking give you nightmares? Um, but uh, Squatter Bloat's question to him right before that. So they're going back and forth like, oh, you're a monarch? I don't even, you know? And Dream says, I am a monarch of my own. Like, watch your tongue. And Squatter Bloat says, where's your ruby? So I don't know if that meant where's your ruby to prove that you're, you know, Dream of the Endless. Or is that saying, oh, you're a monarch? Then where's your ruby proving that you're a monarch? So are all these other monarchs going to have rubies too? Like have their um, own vestment gems that'd be cool like yes. if, i like, hope they do yeah desire has the sapphire like that'd be cool as shit like <laughs> oh my god yeah. fuck yeah uh yeah i don't know because that to jump forward you know uh lucifer says at the end like oh i know how you rely on your tools so much and you know they're a point of weakness or whatever but that being said i still hope that each monarch has a ruby to identify that they are a monarch of a realm that would be so sweet yeah i hope Destiny has the amethyst because it kind of sounds like manifest destiny, which is a thing. <laughs> it's okay. not anything, but it's, it's a stretch. thing. So then, sa- okay, that works with sapphire, desire, amethyst. Yeah, works yeah, with the I rhyme like scheme too of the demons. Yeah. <laughs> also, Ooh. while we're talking about the siblings, I think it was confirmed that Lucifer is not death and is not one of the siblings. She is above, and we'll put all the respect on her name when it becomes time incredibly incredibly important dialogue and i fucking that blew my mind because i was in the the mindset that death was lucifer but what he says is that he gives a whole lore drop about lucifer to matthew which is just perfect because it's one of my favorite pieces of dialogue here he says lucifer morningstar blah blah blah. used to be samuel i think that's how he pronounced it the fallen angel and he said even more important here save only the creator Lucifer is perhaps the most powerful being there is by far more powerful than myself. So the fact that there's a creator, meaning like a God, like an almighty, that's also going to not be one of the endless is just to me, just fuck. Yeah. Let's make that happen. That should be like a season four reveal. Like when God appears, like we don't need that. Sprinkle them in here and there. Yes, man. That to me was the best type of uh, seed planting. That was amazing. That was a, that was like chills kind yes. of seed planting. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I will say, like as we're getting to the the palace is, do you think squatter bloats reasoning for not taking dream and Matthew, like, I guess the correct way to the palace was so he could pass his ex-girlfriend. Like, you know, like they're going yeah. up the cliffside, and Matthew's like, Oh, uh, this doesn't seem like the way to the palace. And dreams kind of like, you know what? You're kind of right. And then in that moment, he comes across that girl who refers to him as I can't pronounce that name. It was like Kai School, like Kai Cool, Kai Cool, yeah. Kai-cool. Um. So, do you think Squatter Bloat did that? I guess based on like Lucifer's orders, maybe to kind of show Throw have some off, like maybe? leverage. Yeah, kind of some leverage. Yes. Like say like, oh, mm-hmm. we have your ex girlfriend hostage here, and because Squatter Bloat like kind of smiles when Dreams like done talking with her or maybe in the midst of their conversation. So to me, it looks like he was doing this on purpose. I really like that yeah. quick moment. I mean, I mean, he says to Matthew, like they are showing me that they were prepared for my arrival. Okay. Like th- this is like almost all of a flex, almost like trying to put him in like more vulnerable yeah, position or, or, or mindset or something like that. And it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we still have your fucking mm-hmm. bitch down here. And 10,000 years. Yeah. The information that we get is that she's not a 10,000 years ago. She was the leader of the people called the first the first people. 
And I just felt like I was tripping when I was seeing this conversation happen because she sees him in a different, as a different, in a different body completely. I love that. Really cool. And then just the fact that, you know, dream was clearly um, predated the first humans on earth. So that was just more, you know, 10,000 years goes back to how he was capable of sitting in that glass cage for a hundred years and not talking because time is probably fake to him. Like he's been alive forever. So just a bunch of little things there. And then again, Paul, you brought it up. That's the X that was hinted at when he had the conversation with Joanna, which was amazing. It's yeah. been 10,000 years and I still love you, but I have not yet forgiven you. Yeah. You haven't forgiven somebody in 10,000 years. God damn. What did she do? <laughs> what do well, you guys is in hell for it? And he put her there. Yeah. 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 Matt, Matthew's like, what the fuck? That means cross realm collaboration right there. What are your guys' theories on why Dream was a different character back then versus now? Do you think he could like occasionally alters his appearance every so often kind of thing? Or I just want to hear yeah. what your guys' guys' thoughts are on that. I, I could have took it like Zeus. Yep. Zeus would just like pop down into yeah. humanity's realm for a little bit. And you know, at the time, if they're the tribe of the first people. Um, and Gotta a white dude in. walk. Yeah, if a white yeah. dude walks down there, they're gonna yeah. be like, "Fucking kill that thing." <laughs> um, so he he needed to represent himself as as something that she would be familiar with. Yep, mm-hmm. that's what I thought too. Fell in love with a mortal. She betrayed him, so he punished her to the damnation. That's, mm-hmm. Sounds like exactly what happened. Is that you think she banged Lucifer? That is definitely a storyline in Greek <laughs> mythology. Yeah, I can't. Remember um, who's. Are we are we ready to move on to the next little piece here? Yeah. Okay, so this is going to be everything from his arrival to the palace all the way until pre-start of the challenge. So don't talk about the like the actual challenge itself, but everything up until that point. So just one real scene, one real long scene that has so much good stuff in it. Just the CGI was fucking incredible. Of the gates, the the satanic cross on the on the gates, and the two, uh, I think they're goats or rams, right? That are next uh, at mm-hmm. the side. I just thought it. It looks absolutely incredible. This was definitely my favorite like scene to look at wise and how the gates were opening. I thought it was just so badass. So cool. I already talked about like the blood boiling up and yep. mm-hmm. just like the as we go past all the prisons, you saw like a bunch of the pillars and prisons too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, it's just it's a really cool realm in general. I was gonna I'll be honest just though. To visit, not to live in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will be honest, though, with the introduction of Lightbringer, um, Lucifer, I wasn't crazy on her look. I kind of liked it because she's so big. She's so towering. Yeah, I like and that. Like, looking down at Dream, you actually see like the, the, the height difference pretty crazy. drastically. The only thing I liked was the wings, really. I wasn't crazy about the character. I don't know. <laughs> I I just, maybe it was the hair. That. Maybe it was the hair. It was the hair that probably yeah. she had a grandma style haircut that threw me off. I didn't think that at all. They they went for their own take on the character for sure, but it's doing it for me. I think also me when too. you consider that it's supposed to be a fallen angel, you can see kind of those aspects Black of wings. purity in the character still that she's trying to present. But then the contrast with her devil wings in the back, which the wings I thought looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. She was she had like an imposing presence and uh, yeah, yeah, she was doing it for me. Her introduction was all I could ever dream for because I knew she was in the show, Brienne, as Lucifer. I just didn't know what really to expect past that. I don't know if you guys had that as a spoiler, but two things that happens right off the bat that's 
fucking amazing for me. And Brian, you already said the one, I think, I think it was you, Brian, that you brought up. She confirms right there that death as a sibling to dream is a completely different character. And I can't even imagine what realm death holds if it's not hell. So that's its own fucking thing, but that was a great revelation. And then right away, she asked dream. She says, are you here to ally with me as the sovereign realm that I'm trying to be, which again, just hints at, the, the war she has with God. Yeah. I think Joanna actually refers to God as God. So like we're allowed to, I think we could just say that either way it's, it's building up for that seems to be like an end game kind of thing. And then I'm just all in. Cause you know, I hate religion, but I love religion and fiction. Cause I think it just the ceiling for how good it can be and cool and mystical is just right there. We also get the uh, introduction of that side character who I'm, I'm guessing would have to have a bigger part in this later on. But I think her was her name Mazikeen. Yep. Mazikeen. Mazikeen yeah. of, of, of the. Yep. You got it. <laughs> that, I thought her character design was fucking sweet with like the half two face looking face. Uh, just really badass. And she definitely is going to be following Dream, is how I took it by the end of this episode. Like she'll be stalking him in the background and just keeping a tab on him because clearly at the end of this like her uh him dream and lucifer have are kind of like button heads so i think mm-hmm. she's she'll come back for sure pretty soon yeah lucifer was cool just one walking over to him just putting her hand in the fire just just to prove that she could do that um and then two when he's talking about the helm she's like oh like you know which demon has it oh you don't well i guess i'll just summon all of them and that was just like a big, like, you don't even, do you know what you walked into? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was playful just, and confident, badass. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And the I, fact that he, she was saying, Luke, you already said it, like, oh, did you come to merge your realm with my realm and join forces? So cool. Have we gotten any? Uh, so we definitely know of Despair, Death, and what was the other, like, what are the Destiny's names that Desire, we've got? Desire, so, so far she said Destiny, Death, Despair. That's the one she listed. But we know of des, uh, Desire's Desire. another one. Right. Because I'm just only thinking of this because when she does kind of start listing them out, she goes like Destiny, Death, Despair, and then she kind of like does this like look away and others. So I just, in my, I guess I forgot about the couple others that we had already been introduced to. I was, but that just kind of made me think that maybe there's too many for her to even keep up with. Like those are the only three that are kind of important to her. Like, of course she would know death. Um, despair also makes sense. Destiny a little bit in ties of like hell and everything, but yeah, I think maybe those three are just the ones who work closest with her. 10 seasons. Each one gets one season. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm in. That would be actually, I, that would be so sweet. I think that would be, be cool great. with that. <laughs> what did you uh what'd you guys think of Corazon or whatever? The the Corazon. Duke of Hell. One of the Duke of Hells. Yeah. No, I thought this was great because she just summons him. He he figures it out by using his sands, right? Yeah, he's like, the sands will bring what is mine to me in hell. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. Yeah, well, first she like summons the entire demon army and she's like, What do you want to do, Dream? You want to interview each one of them individually? <laughs> and he's like, nah. Yeah. I got Middle this. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys recognize that demon Corazon? Uh, sure. I don't even know how to say it. I'm saying Corazon, and that's just hard that's in Spanish. One so. piece. Yeah, that's one piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why? So, is he a famous actor? Uh, he's not a famous actor. He is like a British personality. He's more like of an influencer. His name is Munya Chihuahua. He's uh, from, I think he's from Zimbabwe, but he like lives in uh england right now he's just like an influencer he plays footy and whatnot this seems to be a very british show like up and down yeah bro 
get over yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> the only the only American accent is Corinthian, and he's an evil bastard. Yeah. So it, it's it's really cool. But, this uh, motherfucker had death flags written all over him, and I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Like I was just like the second this guy showed up, and then the challenge happens for the for the helm, which is like what Dream offers up as the as the counterpiece for the helm is eternal slave or eternal yeah, slavery. eternal slavery yeah, yeah to to him and then you know the second he said he was allowed to pick a challenger it's like okay he's gonna pick lucifer but i thought it was just gonna be a death match between the two of them which i also would have been down with because i want it lucifer to somehow be good i've been hoping all these eventual villains are gonna somehow be good because i love that tropes aversion but as soon as he's like you're allowed to pick a challenger he says lucifer is like okay she's pure just straight evil as wanted, she should be i guess i wanted the, the outfit match. the fucking outfit change is so smooth that was smooth yeah he says like you know what i pick you know you sire mm-hmm. and lucifer is in the white and then you see dream's face and then all of a sudden behind dream you see her walking in and now she's in completely black yeah. like ready to throw down and that stare down, dude, put it on an MMA poster, man. Yeah, when they stood up to each other and he's looking up because uh, what's her name? Gwendolyn Christine, I think is her name. Brienne's actress name. Just epic. That was like a picture right there. Just that them was... looking into each other's eyes yeah. and dream not backing down at all. It's so cool. He goes, I have accepted the terms. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and then he has a new outfit on. He's like, let <laughs> the challenge begin. I was like, God damn it. You guys are quick change masters. I will run us through what they say for each level of the challenge, and then we could just talk about it as a whole because I feel like it's too much to pick apart piece by piece. But if you guys are ready, I'll just do that, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, the only thing I want to say is, is the demon is giving the introduction before the game happens. And he's like, the oldest game, you know, a, a game of skill, confidence, and transformation. Mm-hmm. And that's all the information we had going in. And I was like, what are we, what are we getting into? Yeah. He announces so, dream and all the demons are like, boo. <laughs> Love Pick it. Two, my lord. That's yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing that happens before the challenge starts is Matthew tries to give him a little pep talk and he wants to send Matthew back, but Matthew says, fuck that. Either way, challenge starts. And instantly, Lucifer, who is the challengee, picks to be a dire wolf, aka Game of yeah, Thrones. They gonna, totally fucking did that on I was purpose. Like, this has yeah. got to be just complete setup because yeah. how can you have Brienne of Tarth in your show and then her and choose a dire, dire wolf. wolf? Yeah. A dire wolf of all things. So she becomes a dire wolf into which he becomes a hunter into which she becomes Snake. a serpent that poisons him. And then sh- he becomes a bird of prey to to kill the snake. Then what? I just said the Witcher because whenever oh, yeah, I hear yeah. Bird of Prey, I always just think of um, Kahir, Kahir with um, the helmet with a Bird of Prey. And then to combat the Bird of Prey, she becomes a Butcher Bacterium decaying. It just completely like decays dream. And then he becomes a world with life nurturing powers to which she becomes a Nova, which I, I that was one of my favorite parts. She becomes a supernova that explodes the planet. And he then becomes he the becomes the universe all encompassing life embracing which she in turn becomes anti-life which is she says is the beast of judgment the dark at the end of everything and then it ends with dream becoming hope thanks to the pep talk of matthew which it was i thought it was amazing dave wasn't the biggest fan we'll talk about that but before we get our opinions more brian and paul what was your thoughts on this whole challenge back and forth flashing I liked it. It was good. And when she like took it an up a notch and was just like, okay, I'm a butcher bacterium. And he was back reeling on the defense. And she was just like, 
all go. And I'm I'm okay with the cop out being hope because what kills hope, man? Nothing. That's like hell's weakness or her weakness is just like people fucking hope for better. Can't kill hope, man. Mm-hmm. Not going away. He stumped her. I thought so, she was going to uh, be God, honestly. I thought he was going to say God. <laughs> and that would have been the cool. creator, yeah. yeah. The way uh, the way he was like standing back up and saying, you know, your turn, like Lucifer, like what kills hope? It almost, to me, it almost seemed like she had an answer, but she didn't want to say it because that would go against like her, I don't know, the rules of hell or the, the, the aim of hell or whatever is you, you can't go against whatever beats hope, whatever. Uh, all in all, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. I mean, when they fight, they're not just going to fucking arm wrestle or play checkers. They're going to do some old otherworldly like mm-hmm. showdown. So it was, I, I don't think they did the best job representing it, but how do you even do that with like this game? I mean, they, they showed them getting hurt and doing mm-hmm. the actual injuries, which I thought was really cool. I assume they actually felt the pain of whatever was was happening to them so it was almost like a test of endurance um but totally to to go on a a small tangent real quickly like this scene reminded me a lot of the dice gambling scene from pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest you know and they're on um what is it it's not the flying dutchman is it yeah it is whatever okay so they're on the flying dutchman they're doing the dice scene and that scene was weird because you don't really know the rules of the game, right? You're kind of watching everything happening and, and you don't really get what's going on. I watched a dude do a full breakdown on that scene. And now it's like one of my favorite scenes in cinematic history because they explain the rules, because they explain the the motives behind each player and their moves and what they're doing. I felt very similar uh, with this scene right here. Like, I don't really understand the rules so you know when somebody makes a play i don't exactly know if it's like the best or whatever i don't know if it's smart like could i don't know the rules like could brianne just start out with hope she's like i'm hope and then what do you do nothing like like i'm sure you have to start out low and then build up but it's like what's complaint exactly paul you stole the words right out of my mouth that was exactly my thing it's like why not just like become like darkness right away or you know yeah and not give him a chance I, that's the only downside I had about the scene was that I just wish that we had just gotten explained the rules of what was going on because I thought the transitions were really badass with how they started off with her saying a dire wolf and then you get the shot of the dire wolf and how each thing that they mentioned was interacting with one another. I thought it was really well done, but I was just so confused by the end and I'm just like the same thing, Paul. I was like, why not just say hope right off the bat? Does it have to be like a direct counter to what you're like being offered against you know kind of thing it's it definitely seemed like a chess match and i like the idea of it um actually affecting them but it was just so confusing for me first time around i will give it to you it's a little bit weird but my two counterpoints at one being what you guys are saying is the rules no we weren't ever clarified we don't know what you can do and not like you maybe you can start with anti-life and it's like okay well fuck Mm -hmm. but another part is i kind of took it like similar to an anime fight where to use dragon ball z as just a basic example like in new age dragon ball z goku doesn't just walk right up without kind of testing it out a little bit you go to super saiyan one then two and three you don't just start on super saiyan god or like for luffy 
you're not just going to come out against the first villain you see and go gear five right away. Like you kind of work your way up. I don't know. I just hope we I thought it was moves. just awesome because I was just sitting there like, what's he going to do next? How's he going to counter that? Like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I, I thought it was a really cool aspect of how the monarchs settle disputes. That's just that seems like one of the go to. Yeah. So after that happens, of course, we get Lucifer conceding and then Ma- Mazakin actually kills the, the freaking stupid ass demon. What you thought you were going to get away with picking Lucifer as your champion, Lucifer yeah. losing, and then you're not going to have to pay the debt. Like, go yeah. fuck yourself. You fucking yeah. did. He's like holding it to. He's like, this is mine. This is mine. Yeah. Shut up. Dies. So that's the end of that. And then we get this cool conversation between Dream and Lucifer where Dream, always being the respectful endless, says, thank you, Lightbringer. The ruler of hell is honorable indeed. And that's when she puts on a switch, which I wish she kind of didn't do because she's just like, I'm not. Do you know? Do you understand what's going on here? Like, I'm not honorable. Go fuck yourself. We're going to fight one day and I'm going to kill you at some point. I'm going to take your realm, basically. Yeah. She even says, like, the billion lords of hell stand between you. Like, why should we let you leave? Mm hmm. And, and then, she says, yeah. you have no power here. Dreams have no power. And he's got he's got a good comeback for that. This, he's just like, go ahead. I was going to say, this might arguably be the best line out of the two episodes. Mm-hmm. Because she's like, you have no power. And his little monologue was so nice. He was like, you say I have no cha- uh, power. You speak truly. But to say dreams have no power in hell, tell me, Lucifer Morningstar, what power would you, uh, hell have if those imprisoned here were not able to dream of heaven? Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, one day I'm going to kill you. And that's new, my response. <laughs> new, realm, new realm confirms, which we kind of figured with the God drops. Anyway. Yeah, if there's hell, well, heaven. Yeah, and that's also like a two for one there because that's applicable to everybody who's being undergoing damnation in hell, but also uh, Lucifer slash Samael always just looking back up to what if I didn't become Lucifer and was still like God's uh, pure number two angel. I didn't even like think a, about that. Yeah. It's if definitely hope of heaven, which, yeah. and then it goes right to her and she's like, fuck that. That was a good one. Dream. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> which is where she's like, I'm going to kill you one day. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. It's exactly what you're saying. It's like a double sided, backhanded slap because mm-hmm. not only it was like no you're wrong dreams are in hell but the dream in hell is everybody's dreaming of fucking leaving hell because it sucks so much that's that's your realm your realm is with a bunch of people that don't want to be here yeah i'm i'm praying that praying lol i'm praying that we don't have a brienne death at the like finale like i want lucifer no, to make no, it through season no. two at lucifer least. death like no, I don't know if that's gonna kill that. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. It's too big of a yeah, yeah. Brianna Tarth here. Come on, true. All right, so and let's then, get to this final. Okay, the, you got something no, else? I was gonna say the the most badass moment. Probably well, so we're gonna so. take it from this most badass moment, leaving hell, all the way through the end, which includes we're gonna bring John back into this, the whole warehouse thing, and it, it, it starts with um, Dream using the fucking mask that he got back Dude, just he, this is so cool we'll comment on this in a second you guys can take it away but he uses the mask to find where the ruby's location is teleports back to the warehouse gets rejected by the ruby because of john's tinkering with it john shows up takes it and then gives rosemary the amulet of protection and then that will close us out for the episode so final comments here let's get it Dude, I have chills just thinking about him just turning with the mask on. And it's all red, the sand swirl. Dude, that was so fucking hot. I was like, this 
this is what Moon Knight missed out on, man. When <laughs> Moon Knight didn't have him donning on the cape every like or the the mask every time, it's like, come on, man. This is so cool. This is exi- like we haven't seen him have the uh, the, hel- the the helm and the sands in so, like a few episodes. It was just so badass to see him. Now that we know more about him and his powers, it was just so satisfying. He just looked so badass. Him just yeah, holding his helm, walking out, like smiling, smirking, like, yeah, I just fucking beat Lucifer in a battle of wits. What of it? Yeah. Um it, it was just badass. And Matthew's like, Can you even see in that thing? He's like, Yes, mm-hmm. I see it. I, I see the ruby. I assume he sees like whatever he wants to see in that bad bitch. And yeah, that's gotta be the power of it. Yeah. And I mean, things start to happen really quick. He's like, I got the helm. I got my Sam. I'm going to go three for three. Get this Ruby. He shows up at the warehouse and he's something's wrong. This has been tampered with. And that's all he has time to get out before he's like flung away. And I kind of don't like that. This knocked him unconscious. I also don't like that. Was he still in there unconscious when John came in? Mm -hmm. That seems a little what the hell he Um, woke up as John was literally like five feet away from leaving the right. house too. Uh, this actually I it bothered me because the scene continuity of where he got thrown changed in between scenes kind of kind of bothered. So he's he's like walking up to where the box is. He says it's been tampered with gets thrown directly backwards. But then when John walks in, Dream is actually like behind another shelf. So he's like it, it, instead of getting thrown backwards, he got thrown backwards and to the right, and it's like that's that's not what we saw. It's not what happened. Like, why didn't you just show John seeing him, not caring, getting the ruby and walking out? Yeah, I, I agree that it rubbed me the wrong way. There were a couple things I was like that, like explain it more, do better. Yeah, but mm-hmm. they didn't, and I don't really care because they just had to get John away from that ruby and do it without. What's his face seeing? But now he knows the ruby's been tampered with, which was also important for him to find out. Oh, this John moment was so cool, too. I honestly was really expecting him to just kill Rosemary here. And the fact that he gives the protection amulet to her, I love that. I love that aspect of John being kind of a sympathetic villain in a sense. Like, if you are a good person, John will absolutely have respect for you and, you know, not go out of his way to kill you. I I think he's just a very interesting villain. I think that just emphasizes everything I've been saying earlier with just how unique he is and his acting has been phenomenal and I literally can't wait to get more of him in the upcoming episodes. And also, if it does turn out that the Sarah thing isn't a coincidence where Rosemary's daughter... It can't be now that she has the... Amp- that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like she, It could totally come into play with Joanna's it. ex and like link them all together. It's got it. You got me sold on that, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm at the um, same time, I feel like it, it's so... I don't even think it's tinfoily, but it's almost at to me. It feels like it could be a coincidence, which I would hate, but but it's so perfectly lined up. It's a common name. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it doesn't have to be a thing, but she could give the amulet to Sarah and then it comes back to Joanna. Like, oh my God. If it is a thing, we've talked about it and nailed it on the pod. And I feel proud about that. I also have to say, I can't believe it took this long, but Rosemary is the psychiatrist in season two of Ted Lasso and who will be a recurring character going forward. Mm. (laughs) Other of you watch Ted Lasso. I don't have Apple TV, but it's good stuff. Paul, you'd for sure love it, but yeah, she's great in that. What's the job in this for sure. West Ham's in it. I heard. Um, What the fuck's 
Confirmed. No, no. Um, <laughs> what is wrong with Rosemary, dude? Why at the end is she like, I know I'm going to regret this, but do you need a ride somewhere? Like, is she just trying to keep tabs on him so she knows where to tell the police to go? Does she think, like, okay, he's a good person? I know he did, like, explode at that guy at the gas station, but, like, maybe that wasn't his fault because I saw that supernatural shit happen. She's like, fuck it. I'm just going to go with it. Maybe she's like, just kind of thinking that if she saw what he's capable of with blowing people up. Maybe if she, maybe she was thinking if she did just like ditch him here, yeah. he would come after her and kill her. I was thinking that too. Dude. Still looking out for herself. Like, also, I don't want to ditch this guy. It could, it could be, it was hinted at that. Um, the vestments can help you manipulate people too. So the fact oh, that when true. he comes back with yeah. the ruby, he could like have influence over her mm-hmm. to just help him. Like anybody around him is going to want to help. I him. was getting that vibe too, because it was like her tone very much changed from being scared to more just manipulated calm. Yeah. It yeah. felt like she was being controlled almost by something. So and so that was, that even adds more weight to the fact that John doesn't abuse that and lets her go. Yeah. Yeah. That's I awesome. mean, Good for John. He said it. He, he said what I was thinking when he walks out and has the Ruby goes to her window and he's like, why are you still here? Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I'm thinking. Why are you still here? Get get out of there. <laughs> and she's like, are you going to kill me? And I'm like, you could have driven away and not just wondered and pondered that question. So yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go off of what you said, that the vestments just yeah. slowly controlling weak minds around them. Either what? way, I'm going to take my final opinion here of these two episodes. I said it a hundred times throughout this podcast. Like I'm fucking unbelievably in. And Brian, I think you texted us. I think it's episode six that's considered the best of the season from a critic standpoint. And I'm really excited for us to cover it because I've seen even people that love the Sandman show highlighting episode six on Twitter. Like I'm, I'm expecting a lot for our next podcast. So I'm really excited because four for four in my mind, one of the strongest four episode starts of a fantasy series, fantasy series of all time. And I'm pretty confident about that opinion, like of my own board. Um, but just, I will say, yeah. as someone who doesn't know either of the source materials, this was a better quality first four than Wheel of Time was. It just, it just mm-hmm. is. I would agree with that absolutely. So you're gonna say Witcher, which I might agree with. But no, I would agree with that too. Me too. I would agree with both that, almost, yeah. Yeah. But season, like, if we're saying season two of The Witcher, like, I just loved season. Sorry, we're getting totally sidetracked. Now the <laughs> no, first four like episodes of The Witcher the weren't like amazing, like you know. Just yeah. first four of this, though. Yeah, first that's, four of this, though, has been amazing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if this is only the intro episodes, yeah. how good is it going to be when it gets to the climax of what it's been building towards in like as season long, two? Mm-hmm. As long as they don't fumble the bag, like yep. certain shows, GOT. <laughs> would it be would it be a total coincidence if this show fumbled the bag and Brienne was on both shows and Tywin? That end. would just ruin and, her career. And Tywin. Yeah. Oh, and Tywin. <laughs> Their careers are ruined. All the Game of, of Thrones actors get blacklisted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have high hopes for the show. And I feel like because their source material that's completed, like they're just there's no way for them to fuck this up. I, I love it. We got any last words from anybody? Nah, bro. All let's, right. get, let's get our next endless meet next episode and, and bring Joanna back. Yeah, get us out of here, bro. Agreed. All right. That's going to be our episode three and four coverage of Netflix's The Sandman. I think we're going to continue with this two episode per podcast format and we're going to do it season long. So you can expect more episodes of The Sandman. 
coming up soon. As always, if you like what you heard, give Benchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram, pretty much all our socials. I would say visit us on BenchtownTV.com. That has all our links to all of our episodes, other shows that we cover, all of our social media links, etc. And the number one thing that you can do to support us for free, in my opinion, is just click subscribe on our YouTube channel, all of our socials, give us a follow, subscribe to our show, Apple Podcasts. That, that is the best way that you can support us for free. And I implore you to do so. So thank you for listening. Once again, we are Bingetown TV. And I always do this, so I have to say it again. And thanks for listening. (laughs) You're listening to the Geekscape Network.